This is week two of our Heart to Heart series that we've been traveling through in Lent, this 40-day journey. Hopefully you have found something that you've been working on with God, that you've been praying through, that you've been reflecting on. The journey of Lent is one of self-exploration. It's one of self-denial and self-rejection. It's an invitation in these 40 days to explore who Jesus is, who he comes to say he is, and how he points us to God and in the different ways and the new ways that we can live. And through these conversations that Jesus has one-on-one, we can find a new way to live, a new faith. Jesus is opening our eyes to this new faith. And we come to one of my favorite conversations in the New Testament. It's one that's been talked about quite a bit. It comes from John 3. And as a pastor and a preacher, it is really difficult to preach on verses that we know so well. When we are thinking of the Bible and when we're thinking of evangelism and we're thinking about the gospel, John 3.16 always comes to our minds. And we can recite it almost on command, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the first one that you memorize. And so to preach on something like this, to bring the text to full, to full body, means that we need to look at it in a new way. And we need to understand the text that we've been reading for so long in a new way. And so it's my job this morning to present this in a way that changes our perspective about who Jesus is inviting us to see. I'm going to read the first nine, ten verses of John 3, and then we're going to talk about them, and we'll come back to the second half. It says, Now a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must all be born from above. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit." Nicodemus replied, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Poor Nicodemus. He's trying. He's really, really trying. He wants to understand and he has this curiosity, but he just cannot bring himself to that moment that Jesus is talking about. 
uh, I decided to have a little fun with this title. This is, we're talking about Nick at night this week. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he can't go to him during the day. Because Nicodemus is part of this culture. He's part of the ruling class. He's part of Judean leadership. He sits on the Sanhedrin. The same Sanhedrin that would later, a few years later, at the end of Jesus' ministry, condemn Jesus to death. That's the same Nicodemus that we're dealing with here. He cannot go openly to Jesus, so he must book an appointment with Jesus at night. Now, Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And that's all we know about this encounter. Jesus happens to be in the city. Nicodemus says, hey, by the way, since you're here, I'd like to talk to you, but I can only do it at midnight. Jesus says, I'm good with that. Whenever, wherever, let's have a conversation. You and me will talk. He's curious about Jesus, but he is still cautious and Jesus uses this phrase, you must be born from above. Now, there's a lot of confusion in Nicodemus's mind. Because the Greek word there, from above, is anothen. And anothen has two different meanings. One means you must be born again. The word anothen means again. And that's what Nicodemus hears. You must be born again. And so he says, how can I be born again? How can I be born anew when I'm so old? I cannot go back in my mother's womb. But Jesus particularly uses this word because it has a double meaning. Because it means two things at the same time. And Jesus does this all throughout the Gospel of John. See, this is the genius of Jesus' teaching. You heard me say born again, but what I actually meant when I used the word anothen was that you need to be born from above. Jesus uses the same word when he's teaching his disciples at the temple. And he says, you see that curtain? You see that veil? You see that that separates the kingdom of God, the word of God from the people? That will be torn from above, anothen. He doesn't mean it will be torn again. He means it will be torn top to bottom. And Jesus says, oh, silly Nicodemus. You cannot be born again. You need to be born now from above. You need to live in the spirit. You need to be living in the water and spirit that comes from above in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus interprets it literally on the first level. But I think that Nicodemus is this perfect picture for us modern Christians. I think that we sometimes have this faith that we've kind of conditioned to thrive in the darkness. We have this faith that we've put in its place that we say, this is where it belongs. And we've conditioned it to pursue in the dark places of our lives, in our culture. Later, John would be writing in Revelation, beware of the Nicolaitans. Nicodemus turns now into an adjective. 
for Christians who offered worship to pagan and Roman gods, but wanted in order to remain unnoticed to the culture at large. They would say they were Christians and worship God in private, but in public, they offered their thanks and worship to the Roman and pagan gods so that the culture at large would not see them. John Calvin was writing about those who sympathize with the Reformation, but refuse to be publicly identified with its causes as Nicomites. Nicodemus becomes an adjective for anyone who thrives in dark places. In 1934, with the rise of Nazi ideology, German Christians sought to accommodate the gospel to racism and anti-Semitism. They were accommodating the dark places in their faith. And they wanted to be known that faith had a place alongside Nazi ideology. We're successful and we're self-confident, we're self-reliant, we're open and curious, but we're also rational and we're realists. We join Nicodemus in this, that sometimes our curiosity is so great that we must meet Jesus in private because it's too much to bear to see him in a public place. Believers who have mixed marriages or pluralistic work settings, privilege, tolerance, and mutual respect over witnessing about who Christ is and witnessing and sharing faith. Cultural norms push religion into the private sphere, and it positions faith as appropriate for family and personal morality, but inappropriate for public issues. What we've done is we've compartmentalized our faith. We've put it into a little box and said, this is where my faith works best. My faith, my belief in Christ, my love for God my prayers, my Bible reading, the church I attend, the people I hang out with, they all belong in boxes. And if my faith spills over into those other boxes, there could be catastrophe. I could lose something of myself. I could put my faith at risk from someone challenging me or attacking me. We have faith and we have deep faith at its core. We trust in a God who is so large and so big and who loves us and loves our neighbors. And we strive for that, to love God and love our neighbors. But they're always kept in their own compartments. In itself, there is a lot to be praised about faith that thrives in the dark. It is genuine, it's heartfelt, it's personal, and it's deep. Our private faith, our private lives, the life of Nicodemus, where we serve God at night in those dark places, it's not faulty. We shouldn't fault ourselves for having a compartmentalized faith. It's just that a faith at midnight isn't faulty, it's just too small. If it's a faith that fits into a box, if it's a faith that fits into a compartment, it's too small for the God that we worship, the God that we believe in. 
And the problem with Nicodemus and the problem with us is that when we meet God, when we meet Jesus there face to face, when we have those conversations with him, we're speaking from a private place where we can say, you know what, Jesus, I've come to you and I'm so curious about who you are and what you want me to do. But yet I'm so afraid to meet with you in the daylight. I'm so afraid to take that next step. And Jesus is patient with Nicodemus and he says, that's okay that you heard it one way, but I'm here to tell you that when I'm speaking to you, I mean that you must be born of above. You must step out of the darkness and into the light. Jesus invites Nicodemus to practice truth and come to the light. He invites him to come into the light of day and to become a mature believer, to be full participants in the abundant life he offers. There's an interesting thing with the language here because Nicodemus says to him, we know that you are the one who has come from God. We know that. Who's he talking about? This is plural. Is he talking about all of the Sanhedrin? Is he talking about all the Judean leadership? Or is he talking about a small group of people that he represents? A leader who is bold enough to go to Jesus. You know, we've been talking amongst ourselves and we know that you are the one that was sent from God because no one else could perform these miraculous signs. And Jesus says, then why are we here at night? If you've seen my signs, if you've seen my miraculous things, why are we meeting here at night? If you don't step out into the light, if you are not going to meet me in the daytime, how can we even have these conversations? Jesus says in verse 11, I tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you people... You Nicodemus people, you people who only want to meet me at night, you do not accept our testimony. You say I am who I am, and yet here we are at night. He says in verse 12, if I have told you people about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. And so just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For this is the way God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, as you might do, Nicodemus, but that the world should be saved through him. Nicodemus, we want to save the world through you, who can follow the son. Verse 18, the one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. In these last three verses, this is where Jesus drives the point home. Now this is the basis for judging that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light, Nicodemus, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does 
evil deeds hates the light and does not come to the light, Nicodemus, so that their deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light, Nicodemus, so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds, Nicodemus, your deeds have been done in God. Jesus says, Nicodemus, if you want to live a life that is abundant, that is full, that it is one that is recognized as the kingdom of God, you've got to stop meeting me at night. You've got to take your faith public. You've got to have your faith enter not just your family and prayer life, but it has to enter your work life. It has to be practiced everywhere you go, every thought that you have. How can I practice my faith through this moment? How can Jesus show up in the light of day when I stand here in front of my neighbors, in front of my coworkers, And Jesus knows that Nicodemus cannot do this on his own. It is God who will give birth in water and spirit. Rebirth is God's gift to give. It is not ours to take. God's work is to accomplish. And it is God who labors to bring us new life. A life from above. And we often read born from above, or born again as a command. We must be born again. Are you born again? Are you born again? Well, maybe you're not a Christian if you can't say that you're born again. We kind of use that as dividing terms. Well, if you haven't been born again, you can't be a Christian. But I think that this goes beyond a command because Jesus is talking to someone who is a Jew There are two Jews talking to each other, two believers in God. Jesus is not asking Nicodemus to go and get baptized. He's not asking him to be born again. He's already there. He's already a believing Jew. This is an invitation to Nicodemus. This is an invitation to allow God to work in his life rather than trying to get Nicodemus to work in his life. This is an invitation to be born from above, to yield ourselves to God and say, God, how will you blow me about in the spirit? I am yours to be used. And Nicodemus says, "Mm, let me think about that. Nicodemus shows up two more times in John. In 750, he's standing in defense of Jesus. Maybe we shouldn't judge him too quickly, too harshly, and yet he's drowned out. The Pharisees walk away looking for a way to kill Jesus. And then, do you remember where the third visitation of Nicodemus is? He comes to Jesus a third time. It's after the crucifixion and Jesus is in the tomb. And Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, who is a secret disciple of Jesus, they come together and provide the ointments and the spices for a proper burial. 
Let's give Jesus the dignity he deserves. Let's honor this man who is both our brother and our savior. And I don't know if Nicodemus ever came out into the light. I don't know if these encounters with Jesus changed who he was. But it was an invitation to look at who Jesus is and an invitation to come and say, God can transform your life. Let him use you in new ways. Let him guide you. Because an embodied God compels us to an embodied faith. That Jesus incarnate, the God incarnate standing in front of us, necessitates an incarnational faith. A God that takes on flesh, a God of meat and bones, chili con carne. We say of God, he is here in the flesh, and now that compels us, that drives us forward, that claims on our lives, we must have a faith of meat and bones. We must have a fully fleshed, embodied, incarnational faith because that's what Jesus has shown us is the way to live in the light. Being born from above and believing in Jesus are clearly not so much about what one does with one's mind as about what one does with one's heart and one's life. Abraham was called away from his family, from the world that he knew, and he didn't say, I'm sorry, I'm curious about you, God. Let me do a, a book study on you real quick before you call me away to a new place. Abraham said, if you are going to fully embody God, if you are going to fully embody your faith, it's going to compel you to do something, to live in a way that is in the light. Abram answered the call and walked away because God moved him. He could stay Abram at night. He could stay in the world that he knew, that a private life, but God said, I'm calling you to something greater. Believing and doing are inseparable things in the kingdom of God. Do our practices bind us together and build us up or do they separate us and cause conflict? Are we a church that has embodied faith? Are we believers that have embodied faith? We believe in an embodied God so how do we put that into practice? God's love transcends all human barriers placed in the way, embracing and enveloping persons who they are. God's children are formed in God's image. This is who he says he is, and this is who he says we are, a fully formed image of God. In the book, The Wind is My Mother by Marcellus Bearhart Williams, who is a traditionally trained shaman in the Muskegee Nation Creek tribe. He's also an, an ordained American Baptist minister. He observed this, that someone once said to me, I wish I had the same amount of spirit that you have. I turned to him and said, we're all given the same amount of spirit, none more, none less. The difference between individuals is allowing the spirit to have more of you. So that's where the difference is. Yielding 
to that spirit more. And so living in the light is an invitation to see the world and the way God does. Here's the good news of John 3.16. God loves the world. That's what we need to know about our God. That's the Jesus that came to preach to us, to teach us, to stand in front of Nicodemus and say, yeah, you know what? God loves this world. And in fact, he loves the world so much that he sent me to do this unbelievably remarkable thing because you can't and won't and are unwilling to do it for yourself and for your neighbor and for the people on the Sanhedrin who will tell me that I'm a hypocrite and a heretic. How is that not an invitation to live in a fully embodied way? How is that not a way to wake up every morning and say, you know what? There's a lot of things wrong in this world. There's a lot of things we could fix. Where do we even begin? But God loves this world. He loves the people. He loves his creation. And nothing is beyond Redemption, nothing is beyond new birth. Having an incarnate God necessitates an incarnational faith. What does it mean to be born from above and to believe in Jesus? Though well, he says it in those final three verses. To be born from above by water and the spirit, to believe in Jesus is to leave the darkness and come to the light. To declare in a public way your faith, not just to say it, not just to share it, not just to command other people in the ways of your faith, but to live it out fully fleshed, to do. Well, what does it then mean to either live in darkness or light? Well, those who live in darkness and hate the light do so because their evil deeds will be exposed. We want to stay compartmentalized. We want to stay with a small faith because otherwise my whole world that I've known, the world that I've built up for myself, those things might come crashing down. The pleasures that I take in the small things in life, I might find that I've lost those. C.S. Lewis once wrote that we're, we're here sitting in the mud making mud pies and mud men when God has offered us a holiday at sea. The smallness of our faith keeps us confined. And the pleasures of this earth confine us. How much are we going to yield to come into the light, to be born from above, is to do what is true. To follow the one who is himself the way and the truth and the life. It's almost as if Jesus is right in verse 21. The one who practices the truth comes to the light. It's not just about, okay, yeah, now I'm in the light. I was in darkness and now I'm in the light. I got baptized, I go to church, now I'm in the light. Jesus says the only way you can be in the light is by practicing the truth. Practicing. Practice is a do, a verb. It's not a declaration. Declare the, new, the, the truth in your life. That's an action, but it doesn't go far enough. Practice the truth 
and you'll come to the light.